Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. And their chat sites. Uh, and their <laughs> chat sites. <laughs> Stop laughing. <laughs> and their... And their... Hey everyone, it's Elliot and Todd. Welcome to Two Designers Walk Into a Bar, an ongoing conversation about pop culture and iconic design. Today, we continue talking about the formation of the pop art scene. And the introduction of its greatest superstar. He made the lowbrow highbrow. And along the way, agitated a lot of people. So let's raise our glasses to the master manipulator himself back here in the bar. So this is part two. Okay, part two of uh, Andy Warhol's movies, uh, when they started to emerge from the underground. Yes. Welcome to episode 60. In our last episode, uh, we were talking about the factory scene and the oddball anti-films that Warhol was making with all of the superstars hanging around and living life, elevating everyday life, just to make art, right? Yeah. So you were saying that Warhol was mocking avant-garde films by making them longer and more boring, right? So someone sleeping for five hours, people living in the Hotel Chelsea doing, I I don't know, whatever they were doing on split screens, right? And you said the the unwashed masses, the hoi polloi would just not (laughs) be into that. I know. And, And don't you love that phrase, the hoi polloi? Don't you just love that? I do. Doesn't it sound like it should be fancier than it is? We should change the podcast name note like Hoi Polloi. The Hoi Polloi. Yeah. 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 I like that. I like that. We'd have to explain it to a lot of uh, folks, but yeah, it's okay. Yeah. But, you, know, you know, if they're not, screw them. You know what? They would they, be Hoi Polloi if they didn't understand it, right? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. We can do, Todd will do the anti-podcast. I was just gonna. It's like we're doing our own Warhol experiment yes. here, aren't we? Yes, yes. But the three listeners we have, we can't alienate them. We have to. Okay. Here's what we're gonna do: we're gonna get more listeners, and then when we get them, then we drop the anti-podcast on them. Okay. Can we make? I don't think anybody's done podcast more than twelve to thirteen hours yet. Do you think we should do that? Wouldn't that be great? I think we go a full 24. I think we Waffle House it. 
I like that. I like that. Okay. Well, so speaking of endurance, um, the ultimate Warhol film endurance test was his film Empire. Oh, yeah. You mentioned this last time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's actually an eight-hour static shot of the Empire State Building with very, 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 very little change. So, you know, maybe a cloud passes by <laughs> occasionally. <laughs> but but it's eight hours of a lockdown shot. It, you know, it's like someone came in in the morning, uh, turned the camera to the Empire State Building, and they're like, all right, George, I'll see you back at, at the end of the day. I'm, I'm go going to the club. Breakfast, lunch, <laughs> and dinner. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So actually, in uh, one of the uh, reviews from Artnet, it said, the effect is of, the, this is a quote, by the way, the <laughs> right. effect is, because I changed my voice to be a critic's voice. No, this, the this, effect this, is, is, this is good. No, you're delivering. Okay, yeah, you like, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like, the effect is of delayed satisfaction, the process of waiting, and waiting some more replaces the traditional viewing experience. In the end, nothing happens unquote <laughs> so it's basically a screensaver <laughs> <laughs> yeah. well no because it would burn into your screen and like nothing yeah, it's a... basically a still photo yeah yeah with, right? the, with the occasional cloud traipsing past the building right right okay right. so makes me wonder how many people saw this twice yeah yeah unlike uh, our favorite movie the best movie in the world airplane which merits countless repeat viewings it does. It does. You know, um, surely you've seen Airplane way into the double digits of time, right? Hey, look, I have, but don't call me Shirley. Oh, oh, uh, I didn't see that one. That was good. That was good. Um, but it's pretty easy to see Warhol's influence in more recent time-based works. I found this. Uh, there was a Scottish uh, artist, his name is Douglas Gordon, and he did this installation. You're gonna love this. Okay. It's uh, it's called 24 Hour Psycho, where he slowed down Alfred Hitchcock's original movie Psycho to two frames per second, making the uh, the original movie was one hour and 49 minutes. He made it last 24 hours. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. I doubt anyone sat through that whole thing either, especially if yeah, they had yeah. uh, an accompanying soundtrack that was equally as slow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But, you know, like two frames a second doesn't sound that bad, right? I mean, it's going to yeah. be some movement. Yeah, yeah. It's but like, boom, if you're boom, used to boom, 24, boom, yeah. you know, you're used to 12 times that, but, uh, you know, it's it, it's going to be, you could walk away and come back and something different may be happening. So anyway, uh, I have not experienced 24-hour psycho, but... Is it around? Like, could you find it online? Um. I didn't find a 24-hour version of it, but uh, I saw there were stories about it. And you could see, you know, a clip or something like that, but it's it's okay. basically like a still, looks like still imagery. <laughs> um, but, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so I, I'd said, like, at that time in the 60s, um, Warhol decided he wanted to really focus on films. He began to kind of transition to a period that uh, most Warhol scholars refer to as his sexploitation period. Oh, okay. Now I'm interested. 
Well, okay. <laughs> yeah, thought so. In 1968, he created a, a film called Lonesome Cowboys, and uh, it was a it's a campy western. Like, uh, duh, didn't have to say campy, did I? Nah. Um, but in short, it's a film where all the characters are just trying to bed each other, and it was shot in and around old Tucson and Rancho Linda Vista Dude Ranch, and the scenes were kind of half acted kind of frantic and they don't really seem to make a lot of sense you know <laughs> put together yeah so now i'm starting to see the influence on john waters oh yeah bingo bingo right especially early john waters films like pink flamingos or or female troubles or desperate living those are the ones he calls his so-called trash trilogy by the way <laughs> i love that i love it so much yeah it's great <laughs> um but interestingly andy was going to originally call Lonesome Cowboys fuck, then the glory of the fuck. (laughs) (laughs) It was when he was convalescing after the assassination attempt that he and Paul Morrissey decided to just call it Lonesome Cowboys. Yeah, there's nothing like an attempt on your life to provide the moment of reflection that makes you realize that uh, maybe some titles would never fly on the old bijou marquee. Yeah, you know, it's amazing that he came to that realization, uh, isn't it? Uh, so I mentioned this was his sexploitation period and other movies in that period. Uh, we'll uh, see if any of these titles pique your interest. Sure. San Diego Surf from 1968. Flesh from 1968. Oh, that's that Chevy Chase film, right? <laughs> not exactly. Not yeah. exactly. Um, Blue movie um, that uh, was in 69 and Trash from 1970. <laughs> <laughs> Any movie named Trash, I'm there. You got, you're going to line up for that, right? They're going to be like, everyone needs to know this is a 13-hour and 17-minute movie, and Elliot's going to be like, bring on the popcorn, baby. That's right. <laughs> let's, let's watch papers blow around a vacant lot for half a day. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. That's right. Um, but they were all pretty much Paul Morrissey uh, joints. He wrote and directed with uh, Warhol producing, or with Warhol's bank account producing. Right, so. right. Um, and incidentally... There's there's a little side story here that shows how trifling uh, Warhol could be. Um, oh, here we with, go. Okay, know, stand back, you know everybody. Love, right? Todd's about to spill some tea. I know. I've got I got like a whole pot here to go. You're gonna <laughs> love this story though. Okay. So, do you remember the 1969 film Midnight Cowboy? Oh yeah, of course. It was great. Okay. So John Schlesinger directed it, and it stars uh, a young John Voight mm-hmm. and uh, a, a youngish Dustin Hoffman. He was a, a star. Yeah, Ratso Rizzo, right? That's right, right, Ratso. Uh, it's about a young male prostitute arriving in New York City and getting caught up in the sort of dirty underbelly of the city. Uh, could have been called the the Joe. D'Alessandro story too, by the way. If it, you know, if you wanted to make it out from a real person's perspective, yeah, based on true events, right, 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 right. Um, but it's, it's highly regarded. It, it actually got three Oscars, including Best Picture, Best Director, and even landed at number thirty-six on the American Film Institute's top one hundred greatest American films of all times. And by the way, 
again, I think it's rigged. Airplane wasn't on the list. I looked three or four times. I just combed it. Is but, it alphabetical? Because you know. it would be toward the top. It would be um, if it were alphabetical, but no, it starts with a C, like a, a Citizen Kane or something like no, that. I, I don't know about that film, but I know it's time to get a letter writing campaign started, I think. It is. I saw a midnight showing of Sugar Cane one time, but I don't think it, that was the same thing. <laughs> um, but there were, all right. Okay. 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 Let me get back to my story. Let me get back to my yeah, story. Yeah, okay. yeah. So there was a scene where this Warhol-esque filmmaker um, is portrayed by a guy named Paul Rossilli, and his name in the movie is Hansel McAlbertson. And, and, <laughs> Scott's and, German. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. And his female partner, um, played by uh, a Warhol superstar, Viva, and, and her character was known as Gretel McAlbertson. So <laughs> you, you get it, Hansel and Gretel? Yeah, right? I picked up on that. All right, so they approach the, the young Joe Buck, who is the John Voight character, at a diner, and they just snap his Polaroid and hand him a flyer inviting him to this art event and party. And the party was very, very factory, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it was very artsy. And the movie even uses other Warhol superstars in addition to Viva that I mentioned. There's Ultraviolet. Um, there's little Joe, Joe D'Alessandro, and Paul Morrissey. They're in this. <laughs> so, okay, this is great. So basically, it's about New York. It's the same time period. Yep. Not yep. related to Warhol, based on a guy who hangs out with Warhol. And then yep. they basically crib not only his social sort of setup, but then actually get all Take the his people. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So, yeah. So he thought, he was, he was like, you're copying my whole thing here yeah, dude bit. and you're yeah. still in my people yeah 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 that's why they settled on this why warhol settled on the title for lonesome cowboy to schlesinger's midnight cowboy and subsequently he released films starring little joe about male hustlers and prostitutes <laughs> <laughs> okay yeah so drella could be bitchy you yeah, know apparently yeah a little yeah, a little bit of spite there. So, you know what, though? I always thought good artists borrow, great artists steal. And so I feel it's kind of ironic for Mr. Soup Cans to be complaining about being copied. Don't you think? It is a little bit ironic. Um, yeah, yeah. Actually, it might have had something to do with uh, Midnight Cowboy was the only X-rated film that ever won an oscar and it won three oscars and yeah, you know yeah. and and it was best picture and it was right when he was doing his thing so you know i think there was a little bit of um there, there probably was some professional jealousy because he was like you're doing what i'm doing but you're getting <laughs> but you're actually good at it, it. <laughs> but yeah. you're using well, the same probably, people yeah. i use and you're winning awards <laughs> Yeah. yeah, yeah, actually, because I did double check and none of Warhol's films are on the uh, same AFI 100 greatest films list either. So, <laughs> you know, there's that. Hmm. You know what, Todd? I've thought about it. Mm-hmm. If you want to be on my list of 100 greatest friends, why don't you uh, head up to the bar and grab us another round? I'm just uh, going to get the Trash Trilogy up on my phone here while I wait. <laughs> oh, no. Trash Trilogy should be the name of the last three bar tabs you promised to pay, right? All right, everyone. 
mix some fresh cocktails on your own and join us back here in the bar in just a minute. Hello, and welcome to Novel Conversations, a podcast about the world's greatest stories. I'm your host, Frank Lavallo, and for each episode of Novel Conversations, I talk to two readers about one book, and together, we summarize the story for you. We introduce you to the characters, we tell you what happens to them, and we read from the book along the way. So if you love hearing a good story, you're in the right place. Our ninth season is coming this fall. Tune in to hear from some of the all-time great authors, Charles Dickens, Jules Verne, F. Scott Fitzgerald, and more. Subscribe to Novel Conversations wherever you listen to podcasts. Gotta tell you about another great show in the Evergreen Podcast family, Gen X Grown Up. Yeah, it's great. Every week, hosts John, Moe, and George live up to their motto. You have to grow older, but you don't have to grow up. By remembering and celebrating everything great about growing up in the 70s, the 80s, and the early 90s. Yeah, so they have two types of shows, and they alternate every other week. On their regular episodes, they discuss and review what's new in movies, TV, games, and technology through the eyes of Gen Xers. And on the alternate weeks are their backtrack episodes, where they dig in deep on a single nostalgic Gen X topic. And it's a whole range of stuff. Things like the Walkman. Mm, how about pizza arcades? Oh, yeah, I love those. Delicious yeah, yeah. and fun. Movie yes. rental stores, Todd? We remember those. Yeah, not quite as delicious, but still fun. And bulletin board systems, do you remember those? Yeah, cork and thumbtacks, right? It's maybe not exactly that. Oh, you mean like the war games kind? Yeah, 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 let's do that. The Rubik's Cube? You remember the Rubik's Cube, Todd? I do remember the Rubik's Cube, as a matter of fact. I bet you solved that, like... You know, uh, in in your sleep, didn't you? No, I attempted to solve it with a book and ended up solving it by pulling it apart and putting it back together. <laughs> <laughs> and one of my favorites, action heroes. How about oh, that? Oh, yeah. You mean like Mr. Rogers? And Mr. Rogers is another good topic. And let's not forget something all Gen Xers are very familiar with, the mall experience. Do you remember when you and I had a mall experience after going to Mr. Dunderbox? Yeah, it was... uh, We got to tell that story one day. We will. We will. We didn't get thrown out. No, we didn't. Okay, so whether you're a Gen Xer or enjoy lighthearted and humorous looks at Gen X nostalgia, you've got to put Gen X grown up in your rotation. Yeah, and the show can be found anywhere you listen to podcasts like Two Designers Walk Into a Bar or right on their website at genxgrownup.com. Give them a listen. Hi. We want to take a moment to mention that if you're enjoying this episode, we have an archive of topics ranging from the Olympics to movie posters. Think Ghostbusters. Iconic images. Think Bigfoot. Punk music. The Ramones. Saturday morning cartoons. The Pink Panther. And failed products like OK Soda. Visit our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com for full episode notes and visuals the latest blog content, and to sign up for our newsletter. Follow us on social media. We can be found on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, and YouTube. Find the links on our website or search using the phrase, Two Designers Walk Into a Bar. 
Most importantly, leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps more people like you find podcasts like this. And tell a friend about us. Send them a link to our podcast from your listening platform of choice. And if you're inclined, buy our merchandise. Stickers, coasters, magnets, t-shirts. We're designers. We make good stuff and it helps support the show. Get in touch. Use the contact form on our website or send an email to hello at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. We read every message we get, honest. And we're available for speaking gigs. Email us to learn more. Okay, now back to the bar. All right. So let's talk about Warhol screen tests for a second here, because there were literally hundreds of these. Okay. And they weren't screen tests in the Hollywood sense. Um, that's just what he called them. They never led to a movie. Um, they were the feature. It just <laughs> okay. <laughs> so what were okay? So t- in a typical screen test, people are given lines to read or right. something like that. So right. what were these people doing? So these were think about them as moving pictures of still life. So kind of like instead of the Empire State Building, it would be people. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And he did about 500 of these, like starring... 500? Yeah, 500. <laughs> like, uh, and each one was a okay. real. They were average people uh, from everyday life. And then there were celebrities, you know, like Lou Reed and Salvador Dali. But, you know, the, the viewers, uh, the reviewers, I should say, they, they were saying that they had this hypnotic um, uh, equality about all of them. They were all black and white. The subject was just staring at the camera. <laughs> For a hundred feet of film, so a reel of film, which is about two and a half minutes. So yeah, it's kind of like everybody having the same passport or driver's license photo or something. Like whether you're famous or anonymous, right? Yeah, right, right, exactly, exactly. And this was, you know, it was one of those where you're questioning, like, why didn't you just take a still photo? You know, why did it have to be? Why did it have to be a hundred feet of film? But right. you know, like all of Warhol's creative endeavors it was commentary on media and celebrity mm-hmm. um so, but you think okay think about that now though think about it now like those sound funny and we we kind of we're laughing at that but everybody and their cousin are broadcasters through social media now you know uh mm-hmm. i mean it, everybody has a podcast like yeah. that you know yeah. far too but many people <laughs> i know i know Subscribe to ours, by the way. Absolutely. And give us money on Patreon. That, yeah, that'd be great, too. So there are YouTube channels around every single hobby, uh-huh. right? I mean, the other day, I, I saw this thing about model trains, um, uh-huh. and I put it on YouTube, and it literally played all day, like, of just model trains. Wow. Because, you know, it made me feel made me feel good. I would look over and check it out, you know. And, and you'd say, wow, there's bigger losers than me. <laughs> I, did, I, 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 did, I did say that. I was like, wow, there's bigger losers than Elliot. Um, but there's... Oh, a, so, but you think, okay, so, but like, yeah, you can, any interest, there's a YouTube yeah. channel, there's a Discord server on everything, and there are chat sites around every type of fetish, you know? Yeah, so, and yeah. It, it's like, Doing people doing nothing. Well, I mean, even if you think about smartphones, you also have like this live photo thing where you can create sort of like a hybrid photo video. So that kind of, you know, Warhol sort of predicted that in a way. 
Um, so yeah, I think you would have loved everything that you said. And uh, you know, I'm backing what you're doing, Todd, because it sounds like it's keeping you busy, keeping you off the streets. <laughs> it is. It is. It is. Um, so here's the funny thing about that. So and you know, not just staring at a camera for two and a half minutes wasn't funny enough. But <laughs> while he was doing these screen tests, he's asking his quote, actors, unquote, to stay as motionless as possible and to not even blink. Um, and, you know, did he really see the future when he said um, that uh, some of these people were going to be famous for 15 minutes? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, well, I think it begs the question, did anybody come in as an anonymous person do one of his screen tests and leave with more notoriety eventually? Well, Edie Sedgwick. Yeah, yeah, that's true, yeah. Main character uh, for him, but um, nah, you know, not really. Us, the Warhol superstars that people are familiar with, um, but yeah, not really. So where were these actually shown? Like, were they shown at the factory? Did he try to get these into these art house theaters? Like, where where did these things end up? So, like, if I'm one of these people, once I did this, I'd think, well, who's going to see it? Or how can I show other people? Yeah. Well, they weren't shown for decades. Okay. It was just archived. You know, it was huh. just a collection just of in footage. a shoebox somewhere or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Huh. In, in Interesting. Some kind of vault somewhere. Yeah. Huh. Okay. So, thinking about everything we've talked about Mm -hmm. over the last couple of episodes, you know, the anti, the idea of anti-film, the idea of predicting 15 minutes of fame, films about nothing, maybe in a weird way that predicted Seinfeld. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Yeah. But, so what are some of the takeaways? Like, give me... And the listeners, maybe some high points here as we wrap up. Okay, good idea. So here are some of Todd's takeaways on Warhol's influence on mainstream cinema. <clears throat> Ahem. Yeah, yeah. Uh, first, he made stories from the mundane. You know, you mentioned Seinfeld. That's yeah. exactly where my head went uh, as well. It was like, it was about the act of, right? The act of doing. And think about other movies that mm-hmm. made the uh, extraordinary from the ordinary. You remember Slacker, right? That movie from the I 90s? I love Slacker. We'll talk about Slacker again in the future, Todd. Like, yeah. Drop a pin in that, folks. Yeah, I, that that's immediately where my head went. Uh, the movie Clerks, mm-hmm. Kevin Smith's Clerks, love it. The Breakfast Club. Yeah, I could see that. Bunch of kids in detention, sure, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you kind of, you started reading things into it. Obviously, it became deeper. Lost in Translation. Yeah, yeah. Napoleon yeah. Dynamite. I mean, it's kind sure, of just yeah, a, a yeah. slice of life. Yeah, and yeah. Uh, Dazed and Confused, you know? Sure, sure. All right, all right, all right. That's right. Definitely. <laughs> Isn't that where that's from? Yeah, with Matthew McConaughey. That was, I thought um, I was listening to Matthew McConaughey. Yeah, it does. If you closed your eyes, right? Um, yep. Just then. The point being is that to Warhol, real time, R E A L time, equaled real time, R E E L. So see, see what I did there? It's more, you probably have to read it instead of me just saying it because I think it sounded the same, real time equaled real time, but anyway. You knew where I was going with that. Todd, if you have to explain the joke. Oh, it's then it's not a joke, right? Okay. So, but anyway, real time. It, if it took four minutes to eat a hamburger in real life, then he shot it in four minutes of film. And 
he uh, experimented with uh, monotony and repetition. You know, obviously his visual art was about sure. repetition sure. as well. And he once said his best actor was someone who blinked only three times in 10 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> okay. And a critic asked him, um, aren't you confusing blinking with acting? And he answers, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe he wanted the guy to act like a statue. Maybe that's it. That's There you go. And see, it was way above our heads. Um, but the fact that his early films are still being talked about is their strength. And the power of the idea is kind of what his cinema uh, experiments were all about. And anyone who sat through the films would have a hard time explaining the experience, <laughs> I think. As simple as they were, they confounded people. I think, yeah, the trick is sitting through the films, <laughs> given everything we've talked about. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like they were simple, but they were too simple, you know? Yeah, um, yeah. All right, number two, my takeaways. Uh, he knew controversy equaled coinage oh, all the time. Clever. You like that? You, you like the alliteration? I, I read that alliteration is good for memorization, by the way. Where'd you so, read that? Um I, it was a pamphlet somewhere. <laughs> I thought you were going to say I don't remember because it didn't have alliteration. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 um, yeah. That would have been that would have been funnier. Let's edit that in. Um, but okay. So after the ruckus around uh, his movie Sleep, uh, Warhol made his movies longer, right? And in uh, his yeah, playbook, yeah. if it caused a stir in Middle America, it was good for the bank account, you know. <laughs> Yeah, for all, all uh, the 700-seat theater that had uh, yeah. 50 people in it. <laughs> yeah, and, and maybe 50 people, right? Yeah, 50 um, to start, yeah. And so think about that the sort of meta approach um, to movie making now that mainstream movies have mastered. Like, they're getting out front uh, and addressing controversy while doing early press for movies. Uh, for instance, okay, so... Recently, in the advance of Guardians of the Galaxy 3, Chris Pratt was doing press, and the topic around that was being that uh, that this was the first Disney movie to utter the F word. Huh, okay. So they were kind of reminding the mainstream that there was controversy, so you need to go see this movie, right? Yeah, yeah. Turning a negative, a potential negative into a positive, right? Creating buzz, yeah. They were you know, pimping the movie in the early stages. And, like, if you think about, too, not long ago, Pixar's Lightyear, it addressed the first same-sex um, kiss in a Disney-related movie. So, you know, it again, it was taking something that was going to be or could be controversial, and it took it head-on and made it more of a desirable thing. Sure, sure. Well... You mentioned earlier Midnight Cowboy, right? I mean, yeah, it yeah. won these awards. It had an X rating. So, That's right, yeah. And I'm sure at least part of that was the public's curiosity to get in there and see what it was all about, right? Yeah. Listeners, we did a bonus episode um, when we were talking about the beats about the film The Man with the Golden Arm. And we wrote a blog post actually related to that, talking about the Hayes Code and these mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. this sort of rubric of uh, decency that the studios were sort of encouraged, quote-unquote, to follow by the, the federal government and that this film uh, went against the grain and it actually 
was rewarded for that and actually led to the the downfall of the Hayes Code, if I recall. It did and uh, made the the movie even better. And you're right, uh, Midnight Cowboy, it's the only X-rated movie to win Best Picture, as uh, we've said earlier, and it's the only X-rated movie to land on AFI's Top 100 Movies. And, you know, think about this. Think about all the fuss around Texas Chainsaw Massacre. If I'm talking with people about horror movies and I mention that, they always have this cringe. And the fact of it is, is there's very little gore, but quite the reputation as kind of setting the slasher standard. It's actually kind of a funny movie. Now, I don't right. I yeah. don't say that yeah. because Cult I think film. there's I think there's some reality to like I think it was based on some some true stuff, which is not, but when you think about that when people talk about that, it has a bigger reputation than the movie actually pays off. Yeah. Well, they probably I think it's probably it's very clever and it's very practical. So the clever mm-hmm. part was it Hitchcock that said your mind will create scarier scenarios yeah. than you could possibly show on screen. And then the yeah. other thing is that these guys I mean, Texas Chainsaw Massacre was what, like nineteen seventy four, I think? Uh, yeah, it was a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, and so it just had very little budget. So they probably yeah, yeah. couldn't do the effects if they wanted to, so they had to be very clever in terms of mm-hmm. how they depicted what was happening in the film. Um, mm-hmm. But as long as we're talking about Texas Chainsaw Massacre, just like uh, our favorite film, Airplane, this is another masterpiece that is not part of the AFI Top 100 for whatever unknown reason. <laughs> You're right. It's uh, there's corruption in Hollywood, Elliot. I think we've identified that, yeah, haven't we? Yeah. Um, we we need to bust that wide open. We here. do, and we know both the federal government and the Hollywood muckety mucks are listening to this podcast, and we're not afraid to That's do battle right. with you people. That's right. That's right. Um, speaking of my sort of last bit on um, the on courting controversy. Have you heard of a movie? I think this was a 70s movie as well called Deep Throat. Um, you uh, think it was a 70s movie? Like you've I never... think it was. Okay. Like, I've never seen it. I've never seen it. But it was uh, a Linda Lovelace-led film and it was a massive success. Yep. And uh, it, it was known as sort of one of the first adult films with a plot and production value. And it crossed over into the mainstream and kind of kind of put a spotlight on that uh, sort of adult industry like never before. <laughs> well, if I remember, there was a certain Watergate source that <laughs> co-opted, yeah, yeah. Uh, that, that helped this film's <laughs> title maybe get more into the mainstream as well. That's true. It's a, it's a complex story, right? Yeah. All right. Lastly, my last takeaway is, of course... It's something that we've already mentioned, and uh, this goes along with um, kind of Warhol's filmmaking, is they were just non-traditional timelines and narratives. And I remember going back to, I remember the first time I saw Pulp Fiction, uh, I was thrown by the these alternative timelines and storylines, and, and Tarantino has gone on to explore that device in many of his movies. You know, as we're talking about this movie that, of course, pops into my head, and I believe this has won some awards as well, is uh, Memento from Christopher Nolan. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I love that movie. Yeah, I love that. Movie. It's uh, 
like a movie in reverse, right? Mm-hmm. Um, okay, here, here you go. All right, look, I'm tying up some connections here. Uh oh, stand back, everybody. Todd's getting meta. Okay. I am. Guy Pierce, who starred in Memento, also portrayed Andy Warhol years later in 2006's Factory Girl about Edie Sedgwick. Ah, well, there you go. Yeah. Thinking yeah. about some other films as well, right, with these jacked up mm-hmm. timelines Mulholland Drive. Eternal yeah. Sunshine of the Spotless Mind. Great movie. The list movie. just goes on and on. Yeah, it does. It does. So, in kind of closing here, think about this. Warhol produced about 650 films in a span of five years. and Jeez. Uh, 472 were the silent black and white screen tests. And here's one last little Warhol-esque tidbit uh, to leave you and the listeners about his film work. In 1970, Warhol locked all of his films away from distribution. Oh, Uh, okay. Yeah. So, by removing them from the public, they became this mythological thing. They were about, you know, hearsay and mystery, and he created far more desire. And it wasn't until 2012... Relatively recently, that his films became um, available to the public thanks to the Whitney Museum and the Museum of Modern Art. So even in death, the guy knew how to draw attention. That's crazy. So how did they make these films available? Were they showing them at the museums? Did they somehow yes. release them? Okay. Yes. They, yeah, they were part of the Whitney and the, the MoMA. You know what, Todd, with all this talking, uh, this reminds me. Andy Warhol knew how to draw attention to himself, and uh, mm-hmm. I'm thinking of how we might be able to get the bartender's attention here. So, you know, my throat's getting a little dry after all this talking, and I was thinking, uh, yeah, maybe you could buy me another drink. Oh, man. It seems like I end every episode with a sigh like that. <laughs> like, ah. All right. All right. All right. Well, let's do that, and... Let's talk about the next time we're able to get together uh, in the bar with, um, with our great listeners. Let's not jump to conclusions. Let's start with the drink and we'll see where it goes. <laughs> All right. See you, everybody. Bye. So, Jim, we got a problem with our podcast. Right. Nobody says it correctly. No. Some people say how to fix it. Or how do you fix it? But think of it like this. Whatever the problem, we're in this together. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Yeah. How do we fix it? The solution show from the political to the personal. Practical ideas for creative listeners. How do we fix it? How do we fix it? Ideas that work. That's your radio voice, Richard. Oh, well, I know. (laughs) I love it. I couldn't do it to save my life. Two Designers Walk Into a Bar is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information about our show or to discover more podcasts you'll enjoy, visit evergreenpodcasts.com.